Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. We want to be careful as we come to the Lord in prayer that we leave it wide open. So you assume in prayer, God, I don't know anything. I may bring up what I can see. God, I was offered this position and that position, and I don't know what your will is concerning either one, so I'm asking. You could just make it plain to me. Uh, which, if, if either of those is something that you have your hand upon that you have for me or not. But we want to make sure in prayer that we don't limit God, that we don't give him option one and two, or that we don't persist in a thing. In today's message, Pastor Bill will share with you about how we can approach God. It's important that when we come to the Lord in prayer, that we can come to him with humility and trust. We come with humility because we ultimately don't know what God has for us. But we come with trust to believe his plans are for our good. We can't ever put a ceiling on God. We can't limit him to our finite understanding and knowledge. His plans are greater and better than anything we can imagine on our own. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers chapter 11 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Numbers 11, we did first verses 1 through 9, and uh, we call that No More Complaining. As the children of Israel were complaining about, they were complaining against God for providing them with manna. They wanted meat. And we talked about that. We went through there, the mixed multitude there, the the Egyptians that had escaped with them were lusting back in their time in Egypt. And the Israelites joined and they started to complain and they acted like it was better when they were slaves. And they complained. And I told you guys then, but whenever we complain, We're always complaining against the Lord. That's where our complaints are always against him. So it angered the Lord and we went through that. The next study we did last week, we looked at Numbers 11 verses 10 through 20. And we talked about giving our burdens to the Lord as Moses found himself overwhelmed with this mass of people bickering and yelling at him to give them this and to do this and how come that and all their complaints against God they were given the Moses and he was overwhelmed and he brought his burden he brought his overwhelm he brought his issue to the Lord and the Lord said I got something for him I'm gonna do something I'm gonna take care of this group I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of two things that are needed I'm gonna take care of raising up some leadership uh, and I'm going to take care of they want meat they're gonna get meat and so we're gonna cover verses 21 to 35 and this is what we're going to find. A couple things. One, we're, we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit upon the life of the believer. Because one thing God's going to do is tell Moses, the same spirit that's upon you, I'm going to put it upon 70 other people. He said that last week. He's going to do it this week. That you would have workers that are or help that's prepared to really be of assistance to you. Another thing that's going to happen is that this group that was complaining against God and saying, I want meat, I want meat. God says, I'm going to give it to you. And we're going to learn this about the Lord. How many guys, now, I don't know, I think I asked this last week, but I, I just will tell you, some of us grew up in households where if you complain without just cause, some of our parents would say this phrase, I'm going to give you something to cry about. So if you're crying, but it's for nothing, you know, or, or they presume or they feel like it's not a justified cry, you keep crying. I'm going to give you something to cry about. And in essence, as they've been crying out to the Lord, God said, look, I've been taking care of y'all. Manna from heaven every day on time, just like I promised. But you guys are crying and complaining. I'm going to give you something 
to complain about. He doesn't say that, but that's what he does. God's going to give them what they want. So I'm going to just say this up front. We want to be, we're going to talk about our prayer life because they made an error in how they, what they asked God for. Some of us don't want the things that we're asking God for. We think we want it because we have a limited viewpoint. Sometimes we're begging God to give us something and God's like, you really don't want that. Son, daughter, you really don't want that. You think you want that. From your limited little perspective, you think, but I'm telling you, you don't want that. They thought they wanted some meat after this chapter. They ain't going to want no more meat. If they're going to be done with me, they're going to be vegans after this. Not really, but let's, let's, let's pick it up. Look at verse 21 where we pick it up. And Moses said, the people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. And so it's believed 600,000 men on foot. When you add the women and children, most, most people believe that there's between two and three million people he's dealing with. There's a gang of people out here. It's a, it's a large mass of people. And I understand why it would be an overwhelming thought of how you going to feed all these people. So 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they should eat for a whole month. Shall Now he asked God some questions here. He says, shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And again, I told you guys last week that I felt like Moses kind of sass, sass in the Lord. Just just the, 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 the tone of the attitude a little bit, just kind of, I don't know if we can come that way, you know, but he's asking the right person the questions. So. I may not like the approach, the attitude, but he's bringing the questions to the right place. So this is what Moses says. He says, God, as I'm looking at this great number of people, Moses makes a mistake that many of us make in our prayer life is he limits the Lord. He says, God, now he gives God two options. He says, you know, is it from the earth? He said, are you going to, I'm sorry, verse 22, shall the flocks and herds be slaughtered? To give it to them, to provide enough, or shall the fish of the sea be gathered together? He gave them, you know, surf and turf. God, he said, either it's going to come from the, the, the ground, the, the herds, or it's going to come from the sea, as though that's all God can pick from. God, I, he forgetting God's been fed the manna from heaven every day. So God got resources that they don't know about. And so he offered God these two options. We're going to see that neither one of those is how God was going to feed them. And in that, there's a lesson. And when we come before the Lord, I always think it's a mistake to come to God and say, Lord, do you want me to take this one or that? one? Because what if it's neither one? You got to leave room for that. Right. You may get a job offer. You may get two job offers. And you're like, God, this one says this. And, and that one says that. Which which one, Lord? And what we really want to ask is, Lord, is either one of those from you? Either one. Some people are in as single people because married people, you don't get to ask no more. You're married. But single people are maybe there may be people pursuing or that are interesting and everything else. And you may be coming before the Lord saying, God, you know, is it this one or that one? Or you may be just honed in on one saying, God, make this one the one. And God's like, I'm not in either one of those. It's not it's not it's not this or that. It's something else. Something you haven't even you ain't even met him yet. And so. We want to be careful as we come to the Lord in prayer that we leave it wide open. So you assume in prayer, God, I don't know anything. I may bring up what I can see. God, I was offered this position and that position. And I don't know what your will is concerning either one. So I'm asking you could just make it plain to me. 
Uh, which, if, if either of those is something that you have your hand upon that you have for me or not. But we want to make sure in prayer that we don't limit God, that we don't give him option one and two. Or that we don't persist in a thing. They were persisting. God, we want meat. They're telling God what they want. Maybe some of you here, there's something you want. And you've been pressing God for it. And you just give it to me, Lord. Give it to me. That could be a mistake, too. If, if, if you press God to give you something that he doesn't have for you and God finally says, you know what, since you're not listening, I'm going to just let you have it. That's going to once you have it, you, you'll never do this again. This will change your relationship with me. You won't press me again for something I don't have for you. So we'll be careful in how we come before the Lord. But Moses is having a hard time. Understandably, I'm not I, you know, I, I understand he's having a hard time seeing how are all these people going to get fed. And from a human perspective, I understand why it would be a hard thing. But again, he has limited God. He's brought God down to where he's at. From a human perspective, I don't know how you feed this many people. But for God, there isn't anything that's too hard. And, and we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that? Do I really believe? I know this. I know it's in the scriptures. I know that the Bible says, is anything too hard for God? Of course not. But do I believe it in my own life? When my issues come up, when my circumstances are overwhelming, do I believe that this isn't too hard for him? It isn't too much for him? Or, or am I overwhelmed? Am I taken back? I saw parallels here in the Gospels. And you can write down in your notes, Mark 6, 35 to 45. I'm not going to read all through it, but in Mark 6, 35 to 45, similar situation where Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to go and feed all these people. And I'm going to read a portion of it. It says, and when the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hours late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And I recognize this about God is that many times he puts us in situations where we are. We're, we're, we're going to we start off at the end of ourselves. There's no way I can do this. And the goal is that we would be looking to him. God, there's no way I can do this. so I'm looking to you. But we often do is we realize there's no way I can do this. And then we don't look to him. And we just get frustrated or overwhelmed. And, and so God's teaching them lessons. They're in the exact same predicament here as Moses. They've been walking with Jesus. They know that he can do anything. They've seen him do many miraculous things already. And they don't think to just say, you know what, God, we're just going to look for you to take care of it. They get overwhelmed. And he said to them, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? The, the disciples do the same thing. Are we going to buy all this food? I mean, how are we going to feed all these people? And you guys know the story and I'm not going to read through it all. But God, you know, he teaches them a lesson. He multiplies food and feeds everybody to the full and he makes them go pick up the fragments when it's all done. And so I would ask you this question and you could ask this kind of something for yourself, some of you to write down in your notes. But what causes you to doubt God? What are the things in your life that when this circumstance arises, when these things come up, I doubt God? I doubt his ability to provide. I doubt, even though he's come through time and time again, what's the thing in your life where when that comes up, I get troubled in my, I get troubled and I'm doubting and I'm troubled and I'm bothered and I don't know how it's going to work out and I, I forget to look to the Lord. Write it down so you could just remind yourself that when that happens again, I need to look to the Lord. I need to turn up toward him and look to him to, to minister to me, to help me in that. Once again, 
Moses gave God two options and neither one of those was going to be God's option. And so when we pray, we don't want to give God options. We don't want to limit him with with option one and two. We want to leave it wide open for the Lord to tell us whatever he might want to tell us. Verse 23 now, it says, and the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you will see rather what I say will happen to you or not. And so God asked him a question. Hey, is my is my hand short? You know, <laughs> you know who you're talking to. Has, I mean, do you do has my hand? Did my hand get cut? That am I shortened up and that I, I'm not able to do this? Is that why you're questioning me? And again, I remember I'm reminded of the story in Genesis where God just does this to people. He puts them in situations where they realize there's no way I can do this. He told Abraham and Sarah when Sarah's 90, I mean, Abraham's, they're old. She's beyond childbearing age. I mean, they're, they're way up in years and he comes and he's, he meets him talking to Abraham in a tent. And he says, you guys are going to have a son this time next year. I come around, you guys are going to have a kid. And Sarah, you know, was, was eavesdropping and she heard through the tent and it says that she laughed within herself. She didn't even laugh out loud. She laughed to herself. But the Lord heard it. You know, you don't have to laugh out loud for the Lord to hear. The Lord was like, I heard that. And he asked her, he said, why did you laugh? She's like, no, I didn't. I didn't laugh. She lied to the Lord. Um, But she laughed. It was a laugh of doubt. It was a laugh of get out of here. I'm going to have a kid. You You know, she was barren when she was young. Now she's old and beyond the time of having babies. And, you know, I was barren anyway. So, I mean, I I understand from a human perspective, the, the challenges there. But if God said, and that's where we have to come to, if God said, then there isn't anything he can't do. And God says here, is there anything too hard for me in Genesis 18, 14? He says that to her. And the answer is no, there's nothing too hard for the Lord in your life. What are the things that you have made too hard for the Lord? What are the things that God has said he would do or you, his word tells you he'd do them and you don't trust him completely. You, you don't you don't you don't believe him fully. You, you don't believe him enough to be at peace with the fact that he said he would do it. What are those things in your life? Because we want to eliminate those things. We want to we want to come to the place where God, we just I just believe you. It's liberating. It'll free you up when you come to the place where you just say, God, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I'm gonna walk in it. It'll free you. It'll, it'll free you from being hindered It'll free you from you know, putting the pressure all on yourself, you get to walk with this liberty that says, I, I, God said he was going to take care of it. So, you know, I'm going to just keep moving and figure out we're going to see. I'm going to see how he does it when he does it. But I'm going to keep it moving. If we can get to the place where we live like that, it'll free us. It'll free us. We'll be liberated by his truth. And so Moses here, uh, you know, I'm, I'm careful not to put him down too far when I know we all do the same thing. And so he asked the questions. The Lord asked him, is my arm short? You know, you're going to see what I'm going to do. Look at verse 24, 25. It says, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered together the 70 elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took him uh, and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same spirit upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. This is really interesting here. In verse 24, I want to note that though Moses is having a hard time believing himself, he does go right ahead and tell the people what God said. So I got to give him credit for that. He's having a hard time believing it, but 
he goes ahead and says what God says. So it says, so Moses went out and he told the people the words of the Lord. He doesn't tell people his words. He doesn't hold back God's words because he's struggling. He tells them what God said. So there's credit. I give him credit for that because I might be struggling to believe something or struggling to walk it out. But worst thing I could do is take my unbelief and share it with you. Take my unbelief and pass it on like the spies that went out and they brought back the bad report because they were afraid. And so they let their own fear cause them to share it with other people that they might become afraid. So to that, I give Moses credit. He's struggling to understand how it's going to happen, but he does obey God and go tell people. This is what the Lord said, guys. And he gives it to him exactly as the Lord said. Now, in verse 25, God does what he said that he was going to do. First of all, it says the Lord came down in the cloud. At that time, we talked about it many times up to this point, the cloud was the visible representation of the invisible God. The cloud by night, the cloud of pillar by day, I'm sorry, and the pillar, the, the fire by night. And so that was how God would, that was how God was leading them. That's how he was present among them when they gathered together. And so the Lord came down in the cloud and he spoke to him and he says he took the spirit that was upon him. And he placed the same spirit upon these 70 elders. So I do want to explain the three ways in which the Holy Spirit deals with human beings, deals with people. When you are not a believer, right? When you're not saved, for all of us that were not saved at some point in time. Everybody remember when you weren't saved? Everybody remember? All right. Don't don't meditate, but remember, right? So how did you go from being that to saved? What happened? What part did the Holy Spirit play in bringing you from lost to bring you to salvation. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is with us as non-believers. He's the one at work to open blind eyes and soften hearts and convict us and reveal our need for Jesus. If it weren't for the work of the Holy Spirit, you couldn't get saved. It's not a work of the flesh. You can't preach hard enough to get someone saved. The Holy Spirit's always a part of that process. He's with the unbeliever to help them come to the conclusion that they need the Lord. That's how come you'll see some people get saved and it seems like this radical, drastic change of mind. Like they, they completely change like that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That their eyes that were blinded have been opened. That heart that was hardened has been softened. That he's revealed to them that you need this and they receive it. The Holy Spirit is with you. As a non-believer, helping you come to the place to see you need the Lord. As soon as you believe, as soon as you, you say yes to the Lord, you believe Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave and you, you give your heart to him. What does the Holy Spirit do? As a down payment that you belong to the Lord, he comes to live in you. Now he's, he was with you. Now he's in you. And he's never leaving. He's not, he's not a temporary guest. He doesn't move in and move out and move in and move out. The Holy Spirit moves in every believer the moment you get saved and he's now in you. Now he's at work in you, convicting you of sin, guiding you into all truth, leading you, walking with just just at work from the inside out. That's that's how come we that's where the, the, the whole work of sanctification happens that the Holy Spirit of God moved in. And now you're going to be uncomfortable with some things that you were comfortable with before he moved in. So there are things that before he moved in, they were just fine, didn't mind, didn't bother me at all. Now he lives there. God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he said, I don't like that. Man, don't do that. Stop that. Stop. And he's there and you're uncomfortable with it. And you, you, you get sick of that battle and that war. You, you finally agree with God. The Holy Spirit makes you feel about your sin the way God does. Those things that you used to love, you'll be like, I hate that. I don't know why I keep doing that. I hate it. You didn't used to hate it. How come you hate it? 
Because the Holy Spirit's inside you saying, I hate that. I, don't it feel terrible when you do that? That's because I live here. You know, when you, when you weren't saved and you sinned, you didn't feel bad afterwards. Unless you was in jail for it, you know. But I mean, you know, if you got away with it and it went well, you didn't feel bad. I, I didn't. I didn't. I never felt bad about my sins till I got saved. And then you feel bad. You feel bad when you're thinking about sinning. And so that's the Holy Spirit living in you. But then there's a third experience. And we alluded to it last week. Uh, we'll, we'll look at it further this week because this is the experience that happened here. The Holy Spirit coming upon the believers. And Acts 1, uh, 8, as the early church, the, the disciples were told, wait. Wait in Jerusalem. Don't go. You guys are ill prepared to go. I mean, this is the group that's going to be the early church. They were going to be the, the, the beginning of the church of God and, and it's all its power. God said, you guys are not ready yet, but we've been with Jesus. I know, but you're not ready yet. We've walked with Jesus. He breathed on us in John 20 and the Holy Spirit came in to live inside of us. You're not ready yet to go and serve in this way. You need power upon your life. And so he tells them in Acts 1, 8, um, and I'll read, uh, yeah, one chapter one verse eight says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, I want you guys to wait and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to receive power to be witnesses to me of me in these three places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth everywhere. And so they waited and they were in prayer and they were in the upper room and they waited on the Lord. The Lord met them there and you get to Acts chapter two and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. There's a one time sort of an experience on the day of Pentecost. There were tongues like cloven fire above everyone's head and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and everyone there spoke in tongues. Everybody there as they were speaking in tongues, right? They're from Galilee. They're locals. Um, they're from Galilee. So people were there from everywhere. It was Pentecost. It's a time where everybody comes from everywhere to worship. And they heard them. People heard them worshiping God in their language. And so that that's all coincides with what the scriptures teach. The Bible says when someone speaks in tongues, they don't speak to men. But who do they speak to? Speak to God. And we know that it's praise. And so if you're ever at a place where someone gives a tongue and there's an interpretation, I look for the interpretation to be to the Lord and for it to be praise. If the interpretation sounds like a prophecy, I would, I would say that's not that's that's a prophetic. That's not a, that's not a that's not the interpretation of the tongue. The tongue is going to be something to God. And so there can be a tongue and an interpretation. That's what was happening there. They were all speaking in tongues. The tongue was unknown to the one speaking it. And that's why it's tongues unknown, unknown to the one speaking it. And it could be the tongues of men, the tongues of angels, the one speaking it doesn't know. But in that instance there, there was a supernatural phenomenon that God, the spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues. And as they did so, the people around were like, whoa, they are praising God in my language. It would be as though it would be like a group of us being somewhere where there were people from every nation. There would be people that speak Swahili and I don't know all the languages, but, you know, and, and someone would hear you praising God in perfect, you know, Tongan or perfect Swahili or perfect something that you don't speak. That's what was happening there. And so why did God do that? Right. How come how come he did that on that day? Well, as you follow through Acts 2, it caused quite a stir. Everybody was I mean, it blew, blew people away and it caused people to start making assumptions and about what was going on. And they said, well, they're, they're drunk. And Peter said, I'm, I'm going to clear this up for y'all. And Peter stepped forward. What it did was it paved the way. It opened the door for the first gospel presentation of the early church um, after they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it was powerful. 
Peter finally gets to do the thing God promised him when he first got, when he first came to follow Jesus. Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He had not fished yet. But that day, he gets up there and he says, this is, these men aren't drunk as you suppose, but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he quotes a lengthy section of scripture from Joel chapter 2 about the Holy Spirit being poured out upon all flesh and people are going to dream dreams and visions and all these different things. And he said, this is what's going on. And then he turns a corner and starts preaching the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. As we study through the book of Numbers, do you relate to how the people wanted to rebel, complain, and doubt what God's doing? Throughout this book, it's easy to pick up on a theme that God doesn't look kindly at a rebellious spirit or behavior. However, He corrects the people in a way that causes them to come back to Him with the right kind of heart. The lessons that he taught them are the same ones he teaches you today. He wants you to live fully for him, not just say one thing and do another. This means not going about your ministry complaining about the things that bother you. God wants you to be overflowing with gratitude for what he's doing in your life and to look back at the struggles and recognize that he was the one who got you through. Are you enjoying these things that you're gaining from the book of Numbers? Today's message is available to listen to again on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. Once you're there, just click on the Teachings tab. Otherwise, feel free to download our mobile app to listen to more messages like this. Just search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest information on service times and locations. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of A Transforming Word.